Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello and welcome to episode 16, season three of This Spiritual Fix. Today we are talking about Mars and Venus in the Bedroom by John Gray, concluding our five-part series on conscious sexuality. This Spiritual Fix, Two Mystical Mamas Hacking the Self-Help Game with Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Good morning, Christina. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? (laughs) I'm okay. Just dealing with some nice morning things, Mm -hmm. family and microphones and you know, the normal morning stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. I was noticing that having just come off the night shift, I had this theory that dreams in general, like if we actually coordinated our dreams globally and be could see, like everyone knows that like, you know, ancient knowledge always says that shared dreams always have like the most meaning. If we were to actually like create a global platform for sharing your dreams with keywords, then... Like this was, this has been one of my pipe dreams for a long time. So if there's anyone out there doing that or anyone who would like to do that, cause I don't actually believe this is my idea. I just think this needs to happen is like to coordinate an, dreams. Like an across. app where everyone puts in their dream and then you can search by keyword. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can start to see the patterns kind of similar to what happened in the OA, which was like one of our favorite shows, right? They had this global dreaming thing where they had people who were very good at dreaming who would report as soon as they woke up exactly what their dream was. And then they would have a machine that would correlate everything because they were trying to find like these portals into a different dimension. Spoiler word. Sorry, but yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I was thinking they should do that. We should do that on a global level because I think that there could be a lot of things that we could learn from shared dreams. Anyway, that's what I wasn't going to talk about the prelude today. Um, For all of you guys who don't know, at the beginning of our episodes, we talk about a different thing that always seems to be channeled and always seems to relate back into our episode. And obviously we're in the middle of our series on sex and spirituality. And I was just wanting to kind of say something about the amazingness of avoidant attachment. So if you guys listen to the Mother Wound series that we did earlier in this season, you will have heard my journey of thinking that I had secure attachment and then realizing that I have avoidant attachment. And Why did you, you never thought you had secure attachment, did you? I, I think I just <laughs> didn't know what I had, right? Like I was just I like, think I you think said that Luke had, that you had secure attachment with Luke, but usually you had avoidant. Right. I think you said that. Right. But 
having done the work with Come As You Are and recognizing the attachment styles in different sexual relationships as well as like just kind of everything, I just wanted to say a word for those of you who may be unsure if you have avoidant attachment. And the, the, th the thing that I say about it is that like basically if you're unsure, if you have secure or insecure, then you probably have avoidant <laughs> is probably the way that I can say it, right? Because avoidant attachment is one of those things where it comes across as a lot of different things. If you go look at a textbook and they try and describe to you what avoidant attachment is, it is so simplistic. It doesn't nearly cover the landscape of what it is like to be an avoidant have an avoidant attachment style. So for instance, it's like the, the step you know, maybe you don't like physical touch very much and maybe you, you know, avoid emotional entanglement or you don't like people to be clingy. Like that's like the textbook thing. But avoidant attachment can mean you are a perfectionist, right? Because if you're a perfectionist in your relationships and you try and always have like a perfect demeanor or you always try and say exactly what the other person says, even though it's not what you want to say, even though it's very fake... And, you know, in the end, you may find out that the, that's not actually the perfect thing to say. That's an example of avoiding attachment. You're trying to avoid basically any kind of emotional conversation with them, any kind of conversation with them that becomes deeper or more meaningful or solutionering of your relationship, things along those lines. So you may come across as everything's fine, everything's perfect, because the perfectionism makes it so that you don't have to get deeper into the emotional entanglement of a relationship. The emotional right. back and forth and discourse. Mm -hmm. If you basically go to our website and take the primal wound quiz, and if you get betrayal or rejection, rejection, then you most likely have avoided attachment. And if you get injustice, there's probably like a ninety percent chance you have avoided also. Yeah, yeah, and so so that's a, that's a good good hallmark. But if you're if you're still unsure, whatever thing perfectionism, I find, and and it's funny because probably Anna, you could say that that. A level of codependency is similar, but I think this is a different one. Like I think for people who've experienced wanting to be perfect to avoid other people's wrath or avoid just having to have any deep emotional conversation at all with the other person is kind of an example of an avoidant attachment behavior. Other things that I think are key are basically finding distraction and excuse for basically ever having to be present. That's kind of the example of the classic fugitive, which is the rejection wound. But, you know, anytime that you're always kind of coming up with a task or a project or something along the lines in your house that, you know, like that both, both Luke and I sometimes exhibit avoidant attachment sometimes. And, you know, I found that both of us kind of when we're in periods where we're overwhelmed, we just go and kind of do our task or we create tasks that make it so that we don't necessarily have to be present for all of the different things like that. So those are kind of some more subterfuge examples of how the avoidant attachment style can kind of show up in your life. So if you're not still not sure about, you know, what you have going on, those were some extra tips that I've learned. So yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. Cool. So today we're talking about sexual behavior and sexual psychology because I'm doing a book report on Mars and Venus in the bedroom. So we previously did a whole book report on men are from Mars, women are from Venus, which is a classic, a cult classic book that spans across the decades. And it's written by John Gray, 
who had a PhD in sex and relationships. And before that he started studying sex, he was actually a celibate monk for nine years with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And when he came out of his nine-year celibacy, he said it was actually the best way to have sex was because he would tell the women, I've been a monk for nine years and I don't know anything about the human body or, or sex. Can you teach me everything you know? And by putting himself in that position of ignorance, of honest ignorance, he said that he got so much insight as to what women work. So the tips I'm going to read today are coming from his book, Don't Shoot the Messenger here, because he is addressing heteronormative relationships where the man is inhabiting the masculine and the woman is inhabiting the feminine. And we've graduated from that to understand that, hey, we are a mixture of both. There are times when, you know, as we said in earlier episodes, some of us are 60% feminine, 40% masculine. Some are whatever, this, that. The point being, I hope you don't get tripped up in these in these words because this guy wrote this book a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyways, we're going to talk about that today. And I just think it's it's going to be interesting and hopefully it will enhance your sex life. I'm so excited about <laughs> this because, you know, we talked about how Come As You Are is about sexual functioning, right? It's like it's literally about like all the different parts arranged differently, right? But I'm really excited to talk about sexual behavior, which is like, you know, the slight difference of like, what are you actually doing? Like when you're in the situation, not, you know, and, and obviously they kind of blend into each other. It's a Venn diagram that is, you know, two overlapping circles of your functioning can help inform your behavior, but this is something more to, to do behavior. So I'm yeah. really looking forward to hearing it. Yeah. So basically men want sex and women want romance, according to John Gray. An interesting way you could see this is if you have a triangle with the, the pinnacle of the triangle, the pointy end heading up, you could say that that is quote unquote man, right? He's, he's the phallus. He's aiming towards heaven. He's rigid. He's bold. He's directed. And then the woman's triangle aims down towards the earth because she's grounded. She's the chalice. She mm -hmm. needs to be filled up. Mm -hmm. And, and so because of that, if you think about the, the apex being the sexual organs, you could say that the man needs to have his sexual organs stimulated before he can penetrate down to the earth. And the woman who is already pointing down the earth needs to be relaxed and calm and protected so she can then funnel down to her sexuality, right? So basically what John Gray is saying is that sex allows a man to feel his need for love while receiving love helps a woman feel her hunger for sex. So basically he says that men are very out of touch with their feelings and out of touch with your emotions and it has a lot to do with physiology and biology and anthropology of like having a single focus and going to work and being task driven and one thing at a time and because of that he can very much compartmentalize his emotions and his feelings and put them aside and sex is the thing that brings him back into his feelings because it brings him back into his body and on the other hand a woman spends the majority of her time caring for others, foreseeing the needs of others, helping others, taking care of others. And so for her, what she needs to focus on is desire because desire is an extremely self, selfish, you could say, or self-absorbed emotion. You know, desire comes from... I'm not saying it right. How could you say this? Um, yeah. So it, like it's saying like come as you are where they're talking about responsive desire, right? Which is this idea that like in theory, pleasure comes before desire in a woman. 
or in the feminine a lot of the time, but what they talk about, what we talk about in sexual functioning part of this and how it, this is, again, the, the overlapping Venn diagram is that something like 80 or 90% of women are, experience responsive desire, which means that there has to be a stimulus that then allows them to experience and receive the Does stimulation that... to be able to have the desire, right? Like, right. It's, like they're if responding she... to an external stimulus, basically. Or right. If she's constantly... Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, if she's constantly taking everyone else's needs into account, then she's constantly foreseeing others' wants, a.k.a. desires. So for her to experience desire, she's really, it's kind of like the pinnacle of self-care is desire, right? To feel in you your own feelings of desire. So, so in summary, men experience sex as a sexual tension release, and women experience sex as a buildup of tension. Christina? I love that. I love that. I love that summary. That's amazing. I was just going to say, I never actually told you this. This is really interesting. I've had this, like, I've always had this secret desire to kind of understand the that whole experience that a man has, because I feel like I can really, like, could get a lot of empathy if I understood what it felt like for a man. Like, I, I don't know. I think there's probably a lot of people who want to know what it feels like for the other side, so to speak, if you're in a hetero relationship. Or even if you're not in a head of relationship, you want to know what it feels like for the other person. So I think that some of us always kind of wonder what it's like to be what the other, you know, if you're in a head of relationship, what it feels like to be a man if you're a woman and vice versa. Have you ever heard, had that desire? Or is that just strangely me? I don't have that desire, but I, I know people do. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So I'll be, I'll be in the category that does. And the other night I was in a very trance-like state. I'll just say that I was in a very trance-like state and I was like, I think I could do this right now. I think I can jump into my husband's body. And I did. And it was the most, I mean, like I had what I think was the experience. I kind of almost lost myself in the experience of just this, like, like imagine that I just could, could feel how my desire was like embedded in my body. And I could feel how, how his was like on the surface. Like it was just so, so different. And it was so, it, it rose and it, it, it fell away so quickly. It was kind of like the difference of like, if you meditate for a long time, like you have some cars that just like arise and fall really, really fast, right? Like they're just so, so quick that you almost can't even feel them, right? And that's what it felt like. Whereas like the feminine experience that I have is like, it just takes so long to build. Like it builds you're talking up. about that tension. So it was an interesting insight I had into like the validation of what you're saying of like trying to experience what the other side experiences and being like, oh my God, this is so, so different. And I get now why there is such a Mars and Venus sort of thing with the two sexual experiences if you're in a hetero relationship. Yeah. Well, going into the book, John Gray says a man will often misunderstood a woman's need for romance and feel she is withholding sex. So men might perceive her withholding sex as a form of manipulation, but it's actually that she's not in the mood, but part of her is. So when he wants sex and she's not ready, he will perceive it as rejection often. And so men are fundamentally go into their rejection wound, you could say, when they're finally in their body, when they're feeling their sexual arouser, when they're trying to be with their woman, they are extremely sensitive to rejection. So let's just put that out there. They're going to perceive rejection where there isn't. So that's something for him to be mindful of. And for her, she needs to be very careful with what she says because he perceives anything as rejection. 
He does not realize that a woman generally needs to feel loved in romance before she can feel her hunger for sex. So it's like what you were saying before, she needs to have some pleasure before the desire comes. And just as a woman needs good communication with her partner to feel loved and supported, a man needs sex. So I wanna just talk about that real quick that not so much nowadays, but there usually was this whole like, well, men are pigs, men just want sex, you know, and, and, and putting sex down as like degrading and like, oh, he's just using her for sex. Sex is the key to his heart. You know, it's not, you know, let's not be moral, moral prudes here and say, oh, well, she's better than him because she values love and that's her door to sex. For him, the door to love is through sex. And so, yes, men might be more sex driven culturally, biologically, whatever. I don't know. But the point is, that is his way to get into his body and feel his heart again. So, I mean, let's not judge that. A man can feel loved in other ways, of course, but the most powerful way a woman's love can touch his soul and open his heart is through great sex. Great sex will soften a woman's heart and help her relax so that she can receive her partner's support and be loving. So, basically, it softens her edges when she's getting great sex. And I mean, we've heard that. We've heard it. Oh, she needs to be fucked. She's not been fucked well. Like there's some rigidity and tension in, in, in a woman who's not been well fucked. Well, that's hysteria for you, right? Like <laughs> medically hysteria. Like let me, that's the invention of the vibrator happened because of, you know, this history, right, Anna, that like the invention of the vibrator happened because women weren't having orgasms as part of culture. And so when a woman was hysteric, right, which hyster, you know, like the, the uteral, the yeah. uterus is called the hist is the, I don't actually know the Yeah, Latin. hysterectomy. Or hysterectomy hist is when you take out the, yeah, so hysteria yeah, is a basis in the uterus, right? Obviously, this was still when the wandering, the uterus was wandering, which is something we talked about in our interview with Gemma Rain. But the understanding is that, that vibrators were created as a medical device to stimulate women so that yeah, they Yeah, wouldn't they go orgasms. to the doctor and he would give them yeah. it to them and then yeah. they would be, yeah. quote unquote, healed. Yeah, yeah. Healed. exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to quote Esther Perel, who I adore. Women want to talk first, connect first, then have sex. For men, sex is the connection. Sex is man's language of intimacy. I really like that. Okay, so men are out of touch with their feelings and sex puts them back in there. What is great sex? For sex to be great, there must be loving and supportive communication in the relationship. So this book has a lot to do with how to communicate because a lot of people don't communicate because of shame and they don't explain exactly what they want or the woman might not understand that she's actually completely turning him down and emasculating him when she doesn't mean to be. And the book basically talks about the key to great sex is better communication and that when the sex gets better, the whole relationship will get better. And the key to great sex is great communication. So a woman may feel that if she's with the right man, he can read her mind. And if he loves her, he will know what to do. But the truth is he doesn't know how to read minds. And if he doesn't have a woman's physiology, how is he going to know what to do? So this book is going to help explain all that. Previously, he used to do seminars and he'd say, okay, audience, clap when I'm saying something that resonates with you. And it would be so interesting that both couples would be like, oh my God, like the room would erupt in applause from the men or the women at times when the other gender didn't have any clue that that was a big deal. And seeing everyone clap their hand was like their wake up call, like, oh, this is really important to women, you know, because 
they're just operating from you know two different planets. And I love this one little analogy he gives in the book, which is that talking about sex, you know, you can you can break it down into like food, like fast food, or analogies like speedboat. Like he gives the speedboat analogy, which is great, which is like. If you're in the mood for sex, but you don't want to be like, hey, do you want to have sex intercourse with me right now? Do you want it to be fast or slow? To make it playful and talk, use the boat analogy. So the example being like, hey, babe, you want to go on a boat ride tonight? And she could be like, yeah, I'm really feeling like I'm in the mood for a cruise. That means, you know, she wants a slow and drawn out and all the works. And then, or maybe she's like, yeah, speedboat would work. Or, you know, like just kind of, you or let's just go on a canoe or I don't know what a canoe would be I don't know but you know making up an analogy <laughs> like the speedboat would be a quickie a cruise would be you know I don't know but so the point being so many different categories it's hard yeah. to say we never we never know what's going to be like mutual masturbation could be the canoe right Right. And then, you know, or you could use food as the analogy, like, hey, baby, you, you want to go out to eat? I mean, that would be hard because if you actually do go out to eat, it'd be hard. But like, you know, ooh, I want a main course meal with, you know, seven servings or, oh, I just want fast food. You know, like you could kind of come up with your own analogy so that you could talk about it in a way that the children don't understand if they're around, but also that you can make it fun and it's not so boring right you know? well that's i think that's also what you mentioned esther perel and i know that they talk about this in come as you are is that like this idea that like it also enhances the plot right like when you feel like you don't have a plot because you've gotten to the end of most of stories because you're married or you're in a long-term relationship it feels like you're not having sex to further an agenda you know what i mean like that kind of thing and so if you create this language and it becomes really playful, then it's it's something that can be solved. Like, oh, you know, if you have this language and you bring up a word that no one's ever brought up before, like, hey, I want to get in a dinghy tonight. You know, it's like it can kind of, you know, it can further the plot. And the partner's like, what is a dinghy? I don't even know what we will do in a dinghy, right? So it kind of, it can it can bring back the plot even for a night or a day as you kind of build up the tension between you to ensure that like, you know, by the time that everyone's in a place where they can do something, there's something to do. Yeah. And he also talks about using clothing. Like for example, uh, this is kind of obvious. He says that men are very stimulated visually. So like if you decide to wear, a, a woman decides to wear a sexy negligee to bed, then obviously she wants sex. If she's just wearing pajamas or versus a flannel nightgown, like, you know, you can also kind of give nonverbal cues of what you're in the mood for based on the outfit that you're wearing. So first I want to quote Esther Perel. She says, we used to moralize. Today we normalized and performance anxiety is the secular version of our old religious guilt, which I think is very interesting. Can you explain that again? Can I hear that again? One more time. We, okay. We used to moralize. Today we normalize and performance anxiety is a secular version of our old religious guilt. So a lot of people don't go to church anymore. I don't know what the statistics are on religion, but like a lot of people do not identify themselves as quote unquote religious, but there is still shame in the bedroom. And how does that shame show up? Well, if we don't have, you know, God and religious moral authority in the bedroom with us, in our psyches, who is going to replace that shame demon? Well, it's performance anxiety. So men not being able to get it up or getting it up too quickly or a woman being dry, you know, whatever it, or not being able to orgasm. So basically performance anxiety is the new route of guilt. Right. And, and, shame. and the interesting thing about that is going, again, going back to the, the come as you are, is that 
you know, we talk about in that episode about sexual non-concordance, which is this idea that like dry is not actually correlated with not having desire, right? Like there's not, there's not necessarily like, it's a very low percentage of times will you, your body actually do what you want it to do. And I think the more you get older, that's the case. But what's interesting about that is that you can tell that it is shame because it's a societal structure that says that if you're dry, you're not sexually performing. Like, you know, to try, you, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like that basically like if we were, if our subconscious was trying to, to say, okay, if I, could, if I can bring shame into the bedroom because I don't have it in church anymore because I don't go to church, if I can bring shame into my bedroom, what am I going to do to kind of sabotage this experience? Right, because that's what I deserve. Right. With how is the shame wound going to rear its head? Right, and so, so your subconscious mind's like, "Oh, I'll be dry, or I'll never be able to have an orgasm, or you know, or I'll these, compare yeah. myself to porn, or you know, exactly, whatever, exactly." So it can happen right. on a conscious and a subconscious level, which is how you kind of know that it is shame and not necessarily other things. I don't know if that made yeah. sense, but yeah. So one of the reasons why partners stop having sex is performance anxiety, of course, you know, and I'll explain more about that in a minute. And then also bad communication. So men perceiving women not being in the mood when they are in the mood or they are available to be in the mood. And also the fact that men are very goal-driven at sex and, and almost mechanical. And, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So they go the same way. And women like variety. Women like a variety of different ways of being made love to or fucked or whatever and men will find something that works and kind of stick to that plan and so that also can lead to them not having sex because she gets bored and then we'll turn him down and he will feel rejected and it's this whole cycle so that's one of the reasons why they stop having sex so now i'm going to go into some some skills or tools you can use to make your sex great yes yes <laughs> okay so one of the main things he talks about is that men when they are in the bedroom, have a totally different perception of time. And women need much more time than a man. And so they have to build their tension. They have to build, 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 build. And a man might think that he is, you know, stimulating her clitoris for 15 minutes, but really only two minutes on the clock have passed. So he recommends actually having a digital clock in the bedroom. And for the man to take note, like when you start stimulating your woman or pleasing your woman, take a look at the clock. And go for it for a good 10, 15 minutes because you might think you've been in down there or whatever. And that time has passed a lot faster in your head. That's so interesting. I would wonder if like, you know, we're talking about the feminine and masculine aspect. I wonder if you find that you have a majority of masculine or if you feel like you're, you're, you're playing your masculine. If there's, if that same time thing is a thing, or if it's like, actually something that's in a hetero male brain like a cis male you know what I mean like I'm trying to say like not hetero excuse me cis male brain anyway that's really fascinating I didn't know that Clock. yeah and then he also says that a man should be very slow of hand and go slow and that women are extremely aroused by a man confidently taking off her clothes so taking off her panties is extremely arousing to her taking off her bra and whenever he fumbles it's a huge fucking turnoff so what he should do is when she's not home go into her her drawer and practice taking her bras like how to unhook like there's like five different ways to unhook a bra like get comfortable and confident with unhooking a bra because there's almost nothing more appealing to a woman or not, I shouldn't say nothing more, but it's extremely a big turn on for a man to confidently take her clothes off. 
So there's that. Interesting. I, I would I, agree. I you, would agree. Do you think there's a fine line though too with that like if it's the first time you've ever had a partner that you're like, well, how did you get so good at this sort of thing? No, because right? that's shame. <laughs> I wouldn't. That's shame stuff. I'd be like, cool. He knows how to unhook a bra. That's sexy. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I guess each to their own, but I, I'm all for taking shame out of the bedroom. So anyways, fumbling is a turnoff. And then we're talking about the thing with the time, a great practice that you can do is to have your partner and you lie together and a woman, because the clitoris can be very confusing for many men and there's a, plenty of memes and jokes out there about how they don't know where it is and put a mirror down there and have the woman say, this is how I like to please myself and have him watch her with the mirror stimulate herself and then he and then she takes his hand and shows him what to do and he's looking at the mirror so he knows but then he's also has to do it with his eyes closed so he can knows how to do it when there's no mirror around so there's that like playing around with just because every woman is different and how she likes her clitoris to be stimulated so there's that another thing to really understand about this whole dynamic about you know men it's the penis then the heart and the woman it's the heart and then the, the the man likes for his genitals to be stimulated right away so if they're if you're making out with a man like immediately brush against his genitals touch his genitals push on his testicles and penis like all those things want to be touched right away for a man but for a woman it's actually the exact opposite you want to touch all her non-erogenous zones first and then get to her genitals and it's funny because men think that well if, if it feels great to me it must feel great to her but it's actually the opposite it's it's actually so sensitive that it almost hurts or it's uncomfortable for women so the best thing a man can do is called circumnavigating the temple so basically in ancient times you know they would like i don't know do laps around a temple before entering and the idea is with a woman you know like don't just go straight for her breasts you want to gently brush against her and then maybe gently touch her near her breast and then gently touch closer to the nipple and then eventually maybe brush against the nipple and eventually kiss the nipple. So, you know, circumnavigate, slowly, slowly kind of evolve your way closer and closer to direct contact is going to be way more stimulating for her because her desire needs to build and it's just going to be too sensitizing, or I should say, yeah, sensitive, hypersensitive for him to just go straight for the nipples, for example. And that's true for any body part. So the more he touches her in non-erogenous zones and then teases her and eventually gets to her sensitive organs, that is going to really build the, the desire in her. Awesome. Yes? Yeah. Okay. So men are very sensitive to feedback and criticism. Very much so. So remember, they might be turning off their emotions all day and their only time they're really getting in touch with their heart and their body is during sex. So that's when they're the most vulnerable. So if they have a primal wound of rejection, that's when it's going to come up. So women should definitely be very careful about this. So for example, if she's not in the mood, she can say things like, I like this but I want to cuddle right now. Or if she, if he's feeling like she's not in the mood and oh man, she hates me, she can simply say, look, I don't feel like orgasming tonight. I don't need to enjoy it. I'm just happy to be close to you. So let's make love, but I don't need an orgasm tonight. So again, communication. If she's just clear about it, because women don't always, he says this, that men are very orgasm driven, like goal directed and driven in sex, but women aren't always going to have an orgasm and that's okay. And some men don't understand that and they think that there's pressure and that he's failed her if she doesn't orgasm, but women can have great sex 
without having to have the orgasm. So she, if she just clarifies, like, I'm not really feeling like I will have an orgasm tonight because hormones fluctuate in a woman and she might not just be able to, but I'm happy to make love with you. And then the pressure's off him, you know? Yeah. So there's things like that. Yeah. And, and just to kind of add to that, I, I know that in the, the circle of goddesses that I used to, that I kind of grew up in, so to speak, spiritually, they would always talk about how not having an agenda in general was just such a important thing as they got older in their relationships, as they were in long-term for relationships for a long time, that like, you know, especially if you're, if your sex has been defined by orgasm, right? It's like, oh, we're having sex to have orgasm. Like, that's it. That's the agenda of what we're having. And it just seems like you've just been having this agenda your whole time, like the whole time that you did it. Like, I know that for me, when I did a switch to not having an agenda or, or purposely trying to not have an orgasm, it just changed the whole game. Like it just made it so much more interesting and difficult, like just, just different things. It, it just like, it completely shifts what you're trying to do. So I really recommend that if you feel like you're stuck in a rut or if you feel like, you know, oh God, it's just another orgasm again, things like that. Like try to, try to either not have an agenda or completely take orgasm off the table and say that we're not even going to do this. And communicate that. Yeah. And yeah. communicate that with your partner. Yeah. That's exactly. key. Yeah, of course. Okay, so, he, yeah. <laughs> so here are 10 things that women unintentionally say or say without realizing that it is extremely rejection sensitive to men, okay? You're not doing it right. I don't like that. Ouch, that hurts. Don't touch me like that. That tickles. Not like that. Not yet. Not there. I'm not ready. What are you doing? So he says that those are extremely, that is going to cause some long-term performance issues with men if you use words like that in the bedroom. To give feedback in sex, it's best instead to make noises when he's doing what you like and say things like, I really like that. You know, let him know what's working and don't focus so much on what's not working. Or you could say something like, you know, if he's, if he's touching you in a way that, that you don't like, let's say he's touching you too softly. You can say, touch me harder. Like give him positive feedback and help him guide him to what you want versus saying don't you know there's a difference between saying you're you're touching me too softly than saying touch me harder baby i mean you could see that right like yeah. there's a different way to say it and just remember they are in their most vulnerable and rejection sensitive stage when they are making love okay cool okay i'm taking um, he also says that a woman will sometimes say things she's read in romance novels like your touch makes me long for you to enter my body and <laughs> to a man, he'd rather just hear like, ooh, how big you are, <laughs> something like that. That's so funny. I was literally just talking to my husband about like how for me, I really started reading like as a teenager when I started reading romance novels. And he was surprised to hear that, which I thought was funny. But I don't know how we hadn't gotten to that first. But I, I feel like the 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 absurdity of romance novel language leads to like building the tension and it has a purpose but it does sound so non what is that a, 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 a out of time it's it sounds yeah. so out of time now anachronistic so so john gray says this which is very interesting he says men don't actually like to be talked to in the bedroom like just short quick words like oh fuck me harder whatever he like they like more groans and they like to see the responses the woman is having to the touch so 
her responses that she gives non-verbally, like groaning, etc. But for a woman, the opposite is true. She likes complete sentences. And so she delivers, as men deliver what they think the woman would like, the woman also will deliver what she thinks the man will like because that's what she likes. But men don't actually like to be complete, you know, talked to during sex. But men should keep in mind that a woman does. So here are 20. I'm not going to read all 20 of them. I'm going to just pick like the first five. These are 20 sexual turn-on phrases that a man can say to a woman during sex that she will like it. You're so beautiful. You're my dream come true. I love your breasts. You feel so good. You are delicious. All my love is for you. Okay? There's there's 20, there's 15 more in the book of things that you can talk about. But basically that will help turn on a woman is for a man to use complete sentences. <laughs> Grammatically correct. Very important. Grammatically correct. Okay, moving right along to he has a whole chapter called The Joy of Cookie C- Cookies. <laughs> the Joy of Quickies. So he says establishing quickies as okay in a relationship is actually very good for the relationship because sometimes a man just needs that sexual release and the woman might feel used or da-da-da. But when she comes to understand that quickies are great, she can use them to negotiate. So he talks about negotiation, which is funny, which is like a woman can say, he gives an example of a couple he worked with where like the one was like, okay, I'll let my husband know that he can have a quickie or he can, we can have cookies as long as he gives me at least one time a week where he spends all his attention on me and he gives me basically like a six course meal in bed with me being the focus. And then he can have quickies every night or we can have a code word for quickies. Okay. So basically like coming up with some negotiation tool is what fu- sounds funny, but I mean, he says that will work or just being clear, like, Hey, I'm really tired, babe, but, you, but I'm just going to lay here and do nothing if you want a quickie. And that really helps build a man's confidence. It keeps his ego from being bruised because every time she rejects him, he feels his ego diminishes and that can lead to performance anxiety. So the less she can reject him, the better. So I'm not saying a woman should have sex if she absolutely doesn't want to, But he says, and I agree with this, that a woman will always be up for sex if she's built, if it's built up to that. So a woman is not necessarily in the mood, can always get in the mood in the right circumstances. And if you're, you know, up for the quickie thing with negotiation, or you're just like, I want to give my man that ability to have a quickie when he wants it because he needs to connect with his heart and that's how he does it, you know? Right, right. yeah. And I think- I'm I mean, just, I'm trying not to tell, I'm not trying to say, okay, be a bang made for your husband or your partner. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just trying to say, establish how important the quickie is, use it as a tool of negotiation for what you want sexually. Or maybe you just say, hey, we can have a quickie and then afterwards, I really want you just to cuddle me for half an hour, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And there's definitely, there's a bit of my John Gray patriarchy thing in here where, you know, if you heard the earlier Mars and Venus where I was like, hey, this is just men with mother wounds, you know, which was a little bit tongue in cheek, but maybe, you know, that the masculine does have a bit of a greater mother wound. But, you know, I definitely think that we have to couch this to say that, like, if you've historically been in relationships where you've just had to do that because that's your quote unquote duty. Like there is a very, very big difference between these two states. These two states of I'm in a position of power and I can help my husband get into his heart or I can help the masculine in my partner come out because it can't normally do it. And this is part of my relationship. This is part of me helping with their shadow work. This is part of me doing this. And this is totally voluntary versus this is my duty. I have to do this. I do not want to do this. Like as soon as it goes in that territory, yeah, like, there is no. shadow work that you need to do to recognize that you know that that 
well, no, I'm not going to say there's shadow work you have to do. I'm just saying that, like, there can there's be an a opportunity lot of other, for shadow work. There's an opportunity yeah. for shadow work, and there's also an opportunity to recognize that if your partner has the expectation that that is your duty, that that is something that is a very quote unquote what we call like a level one relationship that could have a level of toxicity right. in it. So, so there's a very and, big distinction between the two. And that's why I think the negotiation is good because it's showing that it's a give and take. So, okay, yes. You know, as long as you promise to really give me a full course meal version of sex once a week or you promise to cuddle me for 30 minutes after, I'm fine with a quickie, you know, versus being like, I am your cum receptacle. You shall oh, use me. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, and that's, that's, that is very, and for me, I like, even, <laughs> even listening to you say that, I like, I feel funny because it's just like, like the collective consciousness of, of, of the feminine experience of this like what we're talking about of like duty right and like having to just do whatever you think is like really really strong like I have a very strong like tether what I call like a tether to this area so I'm like listening to what you say but there's also a part of me that's just like that feels so wrong like you know my misandry my man hate come part of me that I'm always still working on and I'm always still like nurturing and saying okay we don't need this part of us anymore we can it's safe even if I'm in a totally safe relationship and have been for over 10 years. So if you're feeling that, just know that like maybe there's something like you have the same similar thing to me and that it's a good thing for us to maybe look at like what we're connected to that's making it so that, that the thought of giving a man a quickie or giving a masculine a quickie all the time kind of propels you, which is what it does to me listening to it. So, you know, I'm really? doing my work. Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm, I'm putting the other, the other, I mean, if it you out there. only have, if you only have quickies in the relationship, then that might get boring for the woman or unfulfilling. But I think if you negotiate, yeah, like every, you know, every X number of times or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and, and that's what I say, I'm, I'm caveating it with that. I am very connected with that field that exists in the collective unconscious that women have just had to do it, even if they don't want to. Right, you know what right, I mean? Right. So yeah. Some okay, so going into so going into the whole women might not be in the mood, but they can always get in the mood kind mm-hmm. of thing. Obviously with consenting partners. That a man should not ask these questions because it's gonna just make his rejection wound so prime. Would you like to have sex? Do you wanna have sex? Are you in the mood for sex? Like all of those questions could be met with a no and you don't want that man. So instead you should ask, is there a part of you that wants to have sex with me? Because part of her, <laughs> not, like she will 99% of the time she will say yes. <laughs> Is there a part of you that wants to have sex with me? Yes. There's a part of us that always wants to have sex with our man. Always. You know, but then sometimes we have a headache or, the, you know, this chore or this deadline or this whatever. And so we're not in the mood. But part of us can always get in the mood. So let's put that out there. Okay. Okay. So. Another thing he talks about in the book is taking responsibility for our own pleasure. So get, a, get sex toys, get vibrators, get whatever it is that you enjoy to put yourself in your own, you know, to put yourself in the mood. You want champagne and strawberries with your partner? Don't wait for him to get them. 
go buy them. You know, if your partner, if a man is rejecting a woman, like a woman's in the mood for sex and the man is saying no, she can go self-stimulate, run a hot bath with candles and take her time with herself, pleasuring herself. And he says that usually that will put the partner in the mood. In fact, if a man is having performance difficulty, like he's not able to get an erection, then the, the focus should completely shift from off of him and onto the woman, giving the woman pleasure because seeing the woman in pleasure and in desire will often stimulate the man. Awesome. And then here, here's some other ways he says to just kind of keep things alive in the bedroom. He says, love letters, go back to old love letters. Try phone sex, even if you've been married 10 years, 20 years, try some texting, sexy photos, phone sex. Middle of the night sex, obviously you need to establish the parameters of that, you know, and what night's good or not. Like maybe you have a little, okay, I'll put, you know, if I put this trinket on my bedside table, it means you could wake me up in the middle of the night and have sex with me or something like that, right? Spontaneous oral sex and long walks. Even though long walks are not sexual, he says that oftentimes just going on a long walk together gives you a chance to reconnect and talk and that will rekindle some passion. Yeah, no, it's it's a really interesting because, you know, I, Luke and I were just talking about this yesterday. Again, a lot happened yesterday. I keep referring in this episode. Um, but we were, it was interesting because we have a business meeting just about every week and so many emotions come out in the business meeting. And it was just yesterday that we realized that the business meeting is the only time that we often get to sit down and talk to each other. So it's supposed to be a business meeting, but we're just like, oh my gosh, like so many feelings and emotions come out. It's like, you really need to create those times in which you're connecting, whether it's long walks or whether it's whatever, to make sure that, you know, everything is kind of doing its its thing, if that makes sense. Like there, there's a time for you to actually connect and have the full range of emotions that you need to so that, you know, whether that's scheduled sex, which is a, another thing that I've heard is actually really beneficial or something along those lines. So yeah. Awesome. So just a couple more points I want to make from the book. A few more points I want to make before we end this episode. And just as a reminder, I will put the link to the book in the show notes for anyone who found this useful and you want to read the full book. There are more tips in that. As he talks about different things to do, like one is called polarity sex. Polarity sex has two stages. In the first stage, the man takes and the woman gives. And then in the second stage, he attends to her needs. So polarity sex is basically taking turns, stimulating the other person versus, you know, doing it all at the same time. He also talks a lot about variety that a secret of great sex is variety because a woman wants it to be different every time and men don't understand that because they're so goal-oriented so they can find a way, like I said in the beginning, to get stuck and just kind of repeat the same position or the same technique. He goes into oral sex in the book and then this is just my own tip is I think that if you give, if a woman gives a man oral sex to the song Chandelier by Sia, you know, that can be a good one. Even just put them in your headphones. Really? And then... Where, did, yeah. Was that what he... Obviously, Chandelier wasn't out when no, he, he that's wrote that my book. own. Too. That's my own. I'm, I'm always jokingly... I, not always, but I've told my joke. If you give a blowjob to the song Chandelier... <laughs> You'll, you'll, your man will be quite happy. <laughs> okay. I'm just trying, I'm getting the pace of what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then how to keep the magic of romance alive. Remember that men are visual. So getting sexy lingerie, that is all sorts of fun. And, you know, put on a sexy lingerie and a trench coat and heels and go, go bother him during his lunch break if he's working from home. And I mean, there's ways to make it fun. 
So I wanna, I saw a funny quote and I can't remember who said it, but it was something like, instead of looking for a partner with whom you can grow old with, look for a partner that you can stay young with, you know? Mm, yeah, I like that. So, I like that. Yeah. So I wanna read two different quotes before we kind of close this chapter. And hold on. Anna's the quote queen. She's so good at quotes. Yeah. <laughs> this is a quote from Osho. If you watch life, you will be surprised. The whole of life is through sex. Life reproduces itself through sex. It is a natural phenomenon. Don't drag unnecessary rationalizations into it. Okay. I just like that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for this. This, is, this has been helpful. And okay. I've definitely taken some, some notes. Really? Some, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. All right. So I want to wrap it up with a beautiful quote from Esther Perel. Eroticism in the home requires active engagement and willful intent. It is an ongoing resistance to the message that marriage is serious, more work than play, and that passion is for teenagers and the immature. We must unpack our ambivalence about pleasure and challenge our pervasive discomfort with sexuality, particularly in the context of family. Complaining of sexual boredom is easy and conventional. Nurturing eroticism in the home is an act of open defiance. Check us out on Instagram at this.spiritual.fix where you can catch us in mid-season lives. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Hi, y'all. Listening to the last season of This Spiritual Fix may have stirred up for you some awareness of how the mother wound ties into so many of our subconscious needs and desires in our daily lives. Well, we've put together a comprehensive five-week course on this mother wound, complete with meditations, journal prompts, and never-before-seen videos and lectures. This course is designed for you to heal your personal and cosmic attachment wounds, reparent yourself, and surrender to the Great Mother. This course is an intense experience for spiritual seekers, and maybe you're not ready for something that intense yet. So we've put together our version of what we call the Shadow Work Essentials course, the Mother Wound Mini to give you access and awareness to this wound with tools to process your energy and to remember the Cosmic Mother's love for you. I cannot emphasize enough how much this work has changed my relationship with my partner, my kids, my family, and the world. It can be life-changing for you too. Go to our shop, www.thisspiritualfix.com forward slash shop for more details. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.